you remain standing and take your Bible, or if you use your phone or smart device, turn to Matthew chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. I'll ask you to follow along in this brief but very powerful passage, and then to remain standing, and together we will recite, we will say the Apostles' Creed. Now, if this is the first time you've been with us, or it's been a while, we have been doing a study through the Apostles' Creed, the foundations of our faith. We're not preaching out of the Apostles' Creed, we're preaching out of the Scripture. But the Apostles' Creed, as you see there in the big idea of this series, gives us a synopsis of the faith that we share as followers of Jesus Christ. So you'll find the Apostles' Creed right there at the bottom of your worship guide, and I will ask you at that point to say that aloud with me. Listen to the Word of God, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, and I believe responding for the rest of the disciples, replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, together with me, would you take your worship guide? If you're a follower of Christ, you can say this, I believe. If you're not, I pray that by the end of our time today, you would be able to say, with the saints gathered here in this place, I believe. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, I pray that today every person in this auditorium would be able to say with confidence in his or her heart, I believe. 
Lord, we pray that today you would open our eyes, that we might behold what your word has to say to us about the the church that you came to establish. So God, we thank you for this time. Oh Lord, I echo the words of uh, Jim as he was speaking a minute ago and thank you. Oh, how I thank you for these precious young families, the precious children that you have given not only to them, but their families, their extended families, and to us as uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Teach us, we pray, so that we can respond rightly to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old saying that uh, when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know that it didn't get there by itself. It had some help. And really, that's what we're going to be talking about today. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 gives us that picture. And as you saw, all of those young adults standing here with their babies, and you saw the pictures of the family, Paul said this about how do we get that faith. Now, faith comes in a variety of different ways, but one of the ways that we hope here at Heritage that they will get that faith is much like young Timothy got it. Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy, a faith that first dwelt in your, I'm glad that Paul had sense enough to mention grandparents, first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. The Christian faith is not just taught The Christian faith, to a great degree, is caught. Now, parents, and some of you who are grandparents, extended family who are here today, you are here because you believe that giving your child or your grandchild or your niece or your nephew or however you're related to that person You believe that giving them a firm foundation is vital. You realize that somehow you're going to teach your children what to believe. Now listen to me. Neutrality is never an option. You're going to be teaching them either by your action or by your inaction. And you want it to be something that is going to last I found these two quotes. I I love finding quotes. I have pages of quotes whenever I come to uh, Thursday to get the worship guide ready. I've got to pare it down. Great quotes in the worship guide, but I, I found another couple that just fit right here. Teaching kids to count is fine. We want them to know that, right? But teaching them what counts is best. Here's another one. Boy, this hits right at the heart of what we're talking about today. If you don't teach your children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. 
Are you teaching them? And I'm not talking to, to just the families who have come today for our parent-baby dedication. I'm talking to all of us. I'm talking to me. Are you teaching them? And are you teaching them well? As I was preparing this last week, I said those words out loud and automatically a song came to my mind. It wasn't a spiritual song. It was by Graham Nash. How many of you are old enough, or maybe you've listened to oldies, to remember Crosby's, Stills, Nash, and Young? This is a great song, Teach Your Children Well. I'll give you another little tidbit. Jerry Garcia played the, the, the steel guitar on that song as well. And they said in their song, parents teach your children well. Now, they were talking about something completely different than what we are. Folks, that's why I gave you that quote a minute ago. If you are not teaching your children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. Are you teaching them? Are you teaching them the basics that we've been going over? The Bible's a big book, so how do you summarize it? A good place to start is the Apostles' Creed, to teach them, I believe in God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in His Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the church, the holy universal church. So, with that in mind, you see that these uh, words are, they're bold, and that means that's what we're talking about in terms of the Apostles' Creed today. I believe in the church. Now, if you're using, for some of you who've seen the Apostles' Creed before and you're using an older version of it, this is one of those places in the Apostles' Creed that really hangs people up, particularly Baptists. Because if you'll remember, in the old version, it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And so we're going to try to correct that. The reason that I've used the, the, the words that I've used today, the one holy universal church and in the communion of the saints, is that we're going to try to define that. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? Well, I know you're a Bible-believing congregation, but for a lot of people that I would ask that, what would come to your mind probably would not be what Jesus had in mind. Let me give you a couple of things that the church is not. We just need to correct this. I know that we know this intellectually, but sometimes we just need to get it down in our hearts again. First of all, the church is not a building. Again, I go back to my childhood. Do you, do you guys, did you ever do this when you were kids? Okay, hey, do it with me, okay? Do you remember how to, how to say it? It was a great little thing. It was terrible theology. Okay? You remember this? Here's the church. Okay, just go ahead and say it. Here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. But we know that the church is not a building. As in, hey, meet me at the church. Maybe meet me at the church house. Here's one that I hear all the time. Hey, don't run in church. Now, children, please listen to me. I'm not encouraging you to run in church. In fact, 
don't run in church, but not because the church... I've made people mad by saying this. Because the church is a sanctuary. A sanctuary means a, a holy or a sacred place. No, the reason that you don't run in church is for the same reason that you don't run at home. You might slip and fall down, or even worse, you might run into an old person like me and knock them down. I call my grandchildren down at times and others as well. Don't run in the auditorium, sweetie. You might hurt somebody. Another thing that the church is not, it's not an institution with programs and activities. It's not a 501c3 organization. By the way, it is all of those things, but if that's how you define the church, that's not what Jesus had in mind when he said to Peter, on your confession, I'm going to build my church. It's also not a denomination, a a religious group like the Roman Catholic Church or the Methodist Church, a group, a denomination of different churches. Now, all of these might contain the church. The building, hopefully this auditorium, this building that has Heritage Baptist Church out front, hopefully it contains the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? And hopefully the institution that we're a part of with our bylaws and our constitution, hopefully that contains the church. And hopefully our denomination that we affiliate with, Southern Baptist, hopefully it contains the church. But that's not what, please get this, that's not what we are told to believe in. Let me tell you what the church is. It comes from a Greek word that means called out ones. Called out of what? First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 gives us a beautiful picture of this. And, and he tells us, let, let this just wash over you. He tells us what we are. You, church, now that, that is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this pertains to you. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a, watch this, holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. And there's a reason why we are all that church, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. There's that word, called you out of darkness into his marvelous Light. We are the called out people of God. So the church is one universal, invisible body. I noticed that uh, when Jim was talking to the, to, to the congregation, to the, you, the people out there, he said the word body of Christ several, uh, several times. We are the universal, invisible body of Christ made up of all believers since Pentecost. And we are holy. That's one of the things it, it says right here in the, in the creed. It says it for good reasons. I, I, you know, we, we've talked about this before. When I first came, I preached all the way through the book of Ephesians. And right there at the beginning, we find this at the beginning of other books. It'll, Paul will be speaking and he'll say to the church, 
I think of uh, when he was talking to the church at Corinth. He said, to the church at Corinth and the saints. And I've always thought that's, that's a great word. We get hung up on that because we only think of what the Roman Catholic Church gives us, those saints that are somehow more holy than we could ever dream of being. And they did all these works and miracles, and those are saints, but I'm not a saint. But the thing about it is you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a saint, a called-out one, a set-apart one. And I'm just, I don't know, maybe we ought to, instead of say, hey, and then call each other by name or even brother and sister, and that's a good way to say it, maybe we ought to start, start saying saint, Saint Brian, Saint Ed, I hesitated a little bit. I that. Hey, hey, li- listen. This has nothing to do with, surely we are seeking to live and walk in the truth of Jesus Christ, but we are declared holy because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and therefore we are the called out people, we are saints, we are set apart from darkness unto life. Now, with the universal, the one church of Jesus Christ that is universal and is invisible and is made up of all of the saints since the day of Pentecost to the end, well, there is no end to eternity. Through eternity, we are the body of Christ. But also, the church is a local gathering. Now, I don't have time to go into all of this, but, but when you go through the book of Acts and so often after the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, over and over again, we, we, we see Paul and, and others referencing the church, and they're talking about the local church. So I know sometimes we can keep it at arm's distance. We need to know that we're a part of something that's bigger than we are, and yet we need to know that we, we are a part of this local assembly of believers called Heritage Baptist Church part of the one universal and eternal church. Now, I've got several things, insights from this passage of Scripture. We're going to walk through it and try to apply these to all of us. And I'll be speaking particularly to the parents and to the grandparents and extended family of the the, the people who came today, but this applies to all of us. First thing is this, the church is founded upon a radical gospel confession. This is radical. Just step back and and, and look at the entire context. It it starts with Jesus' question, and it's a gospel question. It's a question that every one of us needs to ask of ourselves. And I love the way he starts. Let me paraphrase it for you. He he looked at his disciples. They're sitting around Caesarea Philippi, and, and, and so he asked them, hey, what does popular culture say about me? Who do people say that I am? What's the word out there on the street? What does culture say? Basically, their response was pretty good for that culture of that day. Well, the culture says you're a pretty special person, Jesus. Now, by and large, that's what they thought. There were a few religious people that thought he was a demon. But by and large, everybody popular culture thought a lot of Jesus. 
But you've got to see right here and now that that wasn't sufficient. I know you know that for the most part. But you've got to see that that wasn't sufficient. And so they answer back, well, some say you're these prophets of old or some other new prophet. And Jesus pressed in on them. He said, guys, that's that's not enough. Let's, Let's bring it down from popular culture. Who do you say that I am? Now, I said a minute ago as we read the Scripture, I think Peter was answering for the twelve. Might not have been, but I think that he was. And here is the confession that he made. And it is a radical gospel confession. Jesus, you're more than a special person. We've heard what you've said. We've seen what you have done. Culture doesn't go far enough. You are, now look at this, you are the Messiah, Christ. The anointed one. You are the Messiah. You're the Savior, Jesus. And you're God. saying that you're the Son of God, He meant you are God come in human flesh. This is the gospel. This is the basis for salvation. This is the basis for how you and I come to be in Christ. And this is the foundation of the church. After Peter said that, We're going to see this in a minute, that that Jesus said, wow, blessed are you, Simon. You, You pegged it. You got that right. But then in verse 18, the first part of it, he says this, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Upon what rock? Peter? That's what some groups think. Upon the rock, the bedrock of this confession, you believe that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the one who saves, the Son of the living God. God come in human flesh. And that's what I'm going to use to build my church. That's what I'm going to use to put people into my body that will make up my bride. We sang it a minute ago. What is the church's one foundation? Jesus Christ the Lord. And so the church is made up of those who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, this is very important. The church is one. We said that a minute ago. One body. It's a universal, invisible body. This is the big picture. And the way that we know that is look at the words of Jesus. He didn't say, upon this rock, I will build my churches. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So when you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, now get this, you might not have been aware of it. Maybe you were a child, maybe you were an adult, but at that instant when you believed in Jesus Christ, you were automatically joined with everyone else who has ever confessed the name of Jesus. Could I, could I ask you a question? Please, and I want you to respond in your heart. Are you in Christ? Then by definition, you are in His body, the church. So the church is founded upon the radical 
gospel confession of Peter that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of the living God. Second thing, the church is founded upon the revealed gospel truth of God. This is so important. Parents, grandparents, listen to me. How did Peter get this? Wow. Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you. And he's going to tell him where he got this. Simon, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The gospel truth was revealed to Peter. He didn't get it from man's philosophy. He didn't get it from popular culture. He didn't just think it up. Do you think that it's important not only to share the truth of the gospel with your children and with your grandchildren, with others in your family and with others outside of your family, and then to pray that their eyes will be open and that the truth will be revealed to them? A while back, I talked to a young man, very, very intelligent young man, We were talking about belief systems. And as I've shared with you before, I always, I I, I try my best. Sometimes I can get into an argument, I try to pull it back, find out what this person believes, what do you believe? And this young man shared with me what he believed. And then I shared with him what I believed. By the way, basically, I just went back to creation and I walked through the Apostles' Creed. I believe that there is a God. I believe that He created man in an innocent condition. I believe that man was tempted and fell into sin. And at various times, He would would stop me and He would say, well, I disagree with you. I said, I assume that you disagree with me because He was coming from another view altogether. His view was that the Bible... Now, now listen, folks, this this is the average view of people who don't know Jesus. It's not that they're hostile, they're just indifferent. He believed that the Bible is just a bunch of nonsense. How could you say that this book, written by so many different people through the years and containing some things that I, I, would, I would never even read to my children. Have you read the Old Testament, he said? I said, yes, I have. You don't have to read all of that yet to, to your children. But he believed that the Bible was nonsense. He, he believed further that he got here by the process of evolution. Again, this is not uncommon. And, and he believed basically that science was the way that we're going to figure out everything and live good lives now, here is, here is what I, after going back and forth with this young man for a little while, I realized, and I hadn't been doing it, but I realized that it was like we were speaking two different languages. Do you know why it seemed like that? Because we were. And I realized something, that it says, blessed are you, Simon. You, you didn't get this on your own. You didn't get this through a book. This was revealed to you. And I thought immediately, 
And, and I basically, I stopped and I said, you know, we're, we're at an impasse here because we are speaking two different languages. You see, the natural person, a person without Christ, does not accept the things. Now, I'm not saying that that person is hostile. He was not hostile. He just didn't get it. He can't get it because they were folly to him. Everything in this book was foolishness to him except for some of the moral principles. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And at that moment, I started, and I've been praying for ever since that encounter, I've been praying for that young man for the light to go on. There's a reason why people, and I I hear this in the church, I hear it outside of the church, say things like, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. You ever heard anybody say that? Variations of that. I, I don't have to go to church to believe in God. I can worship outdoors. I don't need to go and sit in church. Talked about this a little bit in our ABF class this morning. We, we can worship God just about anywhere. I don't need to go to church. Now, let me say this. and I want you to hear me clearly. So shake the cobwebs. You got any cobwebs? Shake them out. Uh, like someone, I think it was a seminary professor, said one time, students, listen to me. It's bad enough to be understood let alone misunderstood. So I don't want to be misunderstood, and this is really straight up. You simply, you can't believe in part of Christ. Now, follow me. You cannot believe in and love Jesus and not, at some point, believe in and love His body his bride, the church. I was talking with a brother right before the service, and I, I didn't intend to say this, but I thought, you know, you, you need to be careful about running down the church. I, I know you don't. I, I'm saying you generically. I'm not talking about you. But you can share this with your friends. Be careful of running down the church. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. Be careful about running down the wife of another man. So the question must be asked to all of us here today, and I hope you can answer positively, affirmatively to this. So the question must be asked, if you're not a part of the local, visible body of Christ, the church... Are you a part of the universal, invisible body of Christ, the church? Now, again, listen to me. You you know my heart. I am not, by by saying things like this, if you don't love, if you love Jesus, you're going to love his church because you can't just love half of him. In fact, I think I put a quote. These are, like I said, these are all great quotes. Jonathan Lehman, once you choose Christ, top quote. You must choose his people too. It's a package deal. I I just believe that. And by the way, I didn't always believe that. So there is a progression. There's a growth. Maybe today will be a growth in that for you. Choose the Father and the Son, and you have to choose the whole family, which you do. 
through a local church. Now, hear my heart. I am not trying to get you to come to our church or any institutional church for that matter just to come in and listen and sit in your seat and hear a religious concert and listen to a religious speech. I could care less about that. But with all my heart, I want you to know and to trust and to love Jesus Christ and to love His body, the church of which you have been made a part. And no matter how difficult it is, we're not even going to going to get really to the communion of the saints and how different we are and how we, we, we just, people who really know Jesus and are growing in Jesus, they love his church. I was a youth pastor in two churches and started pastoring in El Paso, Texas. The end of the world. It was a small congregation the congregation was smaller than the youth group that I'd come from. It was great, great church, great congregation. And about the second, maybe third Sunday, I, I'd noticed, but I really took notice. And you know, you learn things along the way as a brand new pastor. And, and I noticed this guy, and he'd be sitting, again, a smaller congregation. He'd be sitting in the back, and he, a, after I started, I mean, I barely got through the reading, and I, I would start. Uh, preaching, and he would just do like this. And I would raise my voice, and I would try to change the tempo and all the rest of that. Again, I know you get cobwebs. I get them too. But after a couple of Sundays, it, it, it just bothered me a little bit. I pride. I, I don't know. But about the third Sunday, that guy, his name was Ron, came up with tears in his eyes. And he said, Pastor, I apologize. I've fallen asleep. He said, we haven't gotten to know each other, but I'm an over-the-road truck driver. And I get in at 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, and I love to come to church. But sometimes I just have a hard time staying awake. And I said, Brother, I really did. I said, I'm going to put a cot for you right back there. You see, that's the kind of heart a person who loves Jesus loves his church. And th this is why the writer to Hebrews, this is, see, a lot of times when, when a sermon like this is being preached, you, you feel like, oh, I'm being beat over the head to go to church every Sunday. That's between you and God. And if you love the church, you, you'll want to be in church. And in fact, the writer of the Hebrews says, you, you know, we need, to, we need to consider, think about how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That's what the church is here for. There's a lot more that goes on just than on Sunday morning. And I've said it over and over again. That's why the small group experience in, a, in an ABF, a Sunday school class, or a small group outside of, of class, because you're encouraging, you're considering, how do I stir up this brother or this sister to love and good deeds and, and, and please, he says, don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together. That's the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You know why? Because the day is drawing near. 
See, your children might not understand this. In fact, I wonder sometimes if we do. So just, here's my, here's my counsel. Just make sure your children are part of the local church experience. Do everything you can. Don't let them until they leave home. Just decide for themselves. Parents, grandparents, do everything you can to keep them in the local church. Now, two more things real quickly. The church is founded on the transforming power of the gospel. Verse 18 says this, I tell you, you're Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. Here's the rest of that verse. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. There are several different ways of looking at that, but, but here, j- just listen. You individually and the church corporately ought to be advancing with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Our lives individually, our families and our fellowship should be being constantly transformed to look like Jesus and to share Jesus. And guess what's going to happen if that's true of you and of the church? Satan is not going to like it. He's going to take notice. The very forces of Satan himself will oppose you as you advance internally and externally. But they will not prevail. That's one way of looking at it. And and that's why I love verses like this. This is not triumphalism. We're going to have problems in this life. But this is about our victory in Christ. In everything, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death, folks. And every once in a while, I'll say it to my children, to my grandchildren. And and we need to be saying this. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, and you're close to someone in that younger generation, someday I am going to die. Barring a return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that's the case. And you need to know it too. Someday I'm going to die. So what's the advantage of being a Christian, because when I die, I'm going to die, listen, safely. Because Christ shed his precious blood to purchase his church, his body of which I'm a part forever. Last thing is this, the church is founded with gospel authority. What in the world does this mean? Simply this. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this confession that I'm the Savior, that I'm God. I'm God come in human flesh to save. And so, Peter, here's what's going to happen. I'm giving to you the keys. What are keys for? To lock and to unlock. And and I know that the people have gone very far afield with, with this verse and with other verses like it. But basically, the specific door 
that Jesus has in mind is the door to the kingdom of heaven. What is the, the key that unlocks the door to the kingdom of heaven? It's the key of the gospel. Parents, grandparents, family members, those of us seated here, you have the keys to the kingdom for your children and for your grandchildren if you are in Christ. And I'll end with this verse. It's a verse from the Old Testament. Basically says this. I don't have it memorized, so I'm going to have to. Nehemiah, there we go. Nehemiah, chapter 4, 14. I know it's a particular context, but it applies to us today. The enemies were coming against the people of God. Don't be afraid of them. I know Jim mentioned in his prayer all of the stuff that's going on around us. I know sometimes Christians are so fearful to leave what we have into the hands of our children. I hear it. I hear it all the time. What in the world are our kids going to do? Listen, don't be afraid of your enemies. Fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. How are you going to fight? With the gospel keys of the kingdom. My second favorite quote, they're all so good. Slide down to the very bottom and I'll end with this. Kevin DeYoung, a young pastor, said these words, the man who attempts Christianity without the church, shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Father, I thank you for our time here today. I thank you that you have given us this, this beautiful number of young adults who stood here today saying, I believe. And because of that, I'm seeking to raise my children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would give them strength and power to do that. I pray for these precious babies that we saw. And for the rest of our children and our students, I pray that you would keep them strong. I pray that at an early age they might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that Satan would never get even a second of their lives. God, the only way that that can happen is through the power of the gospel. And so we pray now that you would help us, first of all, to be a gospeled people so that we can pass along all of the things that we have learned. Now, Father, if there's anyone here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, considering that we are sinners before a holy God. Christ came to die in our place as our substitute, and by believing in him, turning away from sin, we become a part of the body forever. Lord, I pray that that decision would be made today, and I pray for those of us who know you, we would recommit ourselves anew to the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. So we thank you and we praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.